everybody, welcome to another episode of Ruby Rogues. I'm David Kimura, and today on our panel we have John Epperson. Hello. Tom Rossi. Hello. And our special guest today is Vladimir Dimitrov. Dimitrov, yes. Hi, everyone. Are you stuck at home climbing the walls when you should be hanging out with the community at the latest conference to get canceled? Are you wondering where to hear your JavaScript heroes like Amy Knight and Douglas Crockford and Chris Heilman? After the cancellations, I decided to put on a JavaScript conference for you online. I invited my favorite folks from around the web and got them to come speak at an online event just for you. Go to jsremoteconf.com and check out our speakers and schedule. The conference is on May 14th and 15th. The call for proposals is open until March 31st. Come join us at an online conference that we guarantee will keep you safe and keep you informed. jsremoteconf.com. So Vladimir, would you mind telling us who you are, who you work for, and just some of the things that you've been working on? Sure. So I'm currently kind of lead backend engineer at Evil Martians. So we're a consultancy agency working mostly in US and Europe and previously in Russia. So we're originally from Russia, but now we're based in New York City and US. So I'm mostly doing Ruby stuff uh, at work and uh, a lot of open source in Ruby and other languages. Uh, why I'm not working on commercial projects. So to name a few, any cable, we already talked about it, I think a year ago, about something. Testprof is kind of popular, test profiling tool. And so my new project, my new big open source project, if I can say so, is called RubyNex, and we're going to talk about it today, I think. Yeah. So I've played around a lot with any cable, and I think it definitely has a lot of possibility for really making action cable viable. So I uh, really appreciate all the work that you guys have done over there. And honestly, uh, for a couple of years, so Evil Martians is like no um, unknown name to me. I've been reading your guys' blog posts for quite some time and I love them. Always very well articulated. But for the longest time, I thought it was Evil Martins. <laughs> but I have no idea why. My brain just could not read past that. So... Uh, it wasn't until you just mentioned it earlier that I'm like, oh, wow, it's Martians, not Martins. So that's kind of funny there. But yeah, so thank you guys for all your contributions to open source. And so would you mind explaining what is Ruby Next? Oh, okay. Let me try to find a few words to do this. So Ruby Next is a, well, let's say it's first a transpiler from modern Ruby syntax to older Ruby syntax. And the second is also a collection of polyfills or core extensions or refinements for backporting, again, modern APIs to older Rubies. The initial motivation behind RubyNX is to make it possible to use edge Ruby features in the projects which still use older Ruby versions or even uh, other implementations such as JRuby, Truffle, or whatever. Excellent. So that allows someone who's got a, an older version of a Rails project or something that was just built on Ruby, an older version like as, as old as 1.93 or... Uh, that's how far, how far back actually, <laughs> yeah, that's actually an interesting question. The, the, the whole idea of RubyNX is not to allow people to stick around with a already dead rubies for a long time, like 1.983, whatever. Uh, actually, the current supported Ruby versions are 2.4 plus, but uh, 2.4 is going to be dead in a couple of weeks, I think. So in March uh, 2020, there is an end of life for 2.4. And I'm not supporting even 2.4 out of the box. So RubyNX is for 2.5 plus for now. If a lot of users would like to use it for older versions, we can try to figure out. But uh, uh, ideally, I don't want to do that. I don't want to make uh, other developers to stick with older Rubies. I want them to make it easier to transition to the newer Ruby syntax and features. So that's a goal. So so can you give us a good example of... of uh, how that could be used? So I'm a developer. I'm on Ruby 2.5 and... I want to be able to take advantage of new syntax that comes out in Ruby 2.6.3. This is something that I would be able to use to allow me to use that? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, that's uh, what it is for. So, for example, so you have a Rails application. You, for some reasons, probably for deployment reasons or whatever else, you're still using 2.5. That's a pretty common. I think 2.5 is the most popular Ruby version nowadays. And you want to try pattern matching. So you find some place in your code and you think, well, it would be great to refactor it with pattern matching. It's much clearer. And you want to use it. So all you need to do as of now, hopefully you're using Rails with Bootsnap. So that's uh, some kind of limitations. But if you already have this, uh, you can just add a Rubynext gem and require it into your in your config uh, boot RB. And that's it. That will take uh, care of everything, of making the 2.7 syntax work in your 2.5 Ruby uh, transparently. You don't need to run any building commands, compiling, whatever. So it kind of a runtime mode. That's one of the use cases. So, yeah, that's, but that's actually not the, the reason why I started working on this. As I said, um, mostly working on open source projects on Ruby gems and currently maintaining, I don't know, actively maintain about a dozen of them. And I want to use modern features in gems, but well, in, you sh- should support uh, all the Ruby versions if you're a library developer, because otherwise you won't get enough of users. And everyone would be complaining about, hey, let's support my old Ruby. So and that's how I initially came to this idea. For gems, the flow is pretty is a bit different. I don't want gems to uh, get yet another dependency to make uh, this better matching work in their gems for all the rubies. That's not a good idea. So gems should use this pre-compiled, uh, pre-transpiled actually, uh, Ruby code to, to be loaded in older versions. So the development is like this. You write code in to seven syntax, you call Ruby next. Uh, I forgot that command name. Nextify, it's called. It's always a command line tool. Uh, also ships with a gem. And it transforms all the code which contains some unsupported syntax for, say, 2.5 into supported syntax and put it into your library and make it be loaded only in the specified version. So there are some Ruby code loading magic in there. But yeah, that's the way you ship your library with different code versions for different Ruby versions, if it's necessary. But that makes you, you allows you to use uh, the, the Edge, actually, not even the latest stable version, but also the Edge features in your own libraries. So that's why I started working on this. I'm a huge fan of this because as a gem developer, that is like a thing that is super frustrating. Uh, so for example, I ran into this weird edge case. I didn't, I didn't realize this was the case, but I guess ERB has a breaking change. I don't actually remember which Ruby it changes between. Anyway, there's a breaking change or whatever, right? And, and so I'm just like, what the freaking heck? Because I had to completely write an entire section of code that used ERB stuff. So for ship lane or whatever, where I use a lot of ERB stuff to generate things, stuff like that, right? This is exactly, this is awesome. And so now will this add a gem, this will add a gem dependency to your gem that you already have? Or when you compile it, it creates that library so that way you don't have to, nobody who downloads your gem has to now download an additional gem. So uh, let's talk about the internals a bit. So RubyNX is a transpiler and a polyfills and a set of polyfills, right? So polyfills is just, well, it could be monkey patches, which I don't want, I don't recommend to use. And uh, another way to use, uh, Let's consider an example, just without all these terms. Uh, what's uh, oh? Have you heard about Ruby two seven edit support for enumerable tally new method, which returns the number of times an each item occurred in the collection? Like say, it's like an easy way to count the occurrences in the in, in the array, for example. Well, this is a new method, and if you want to use it in your jam, but you want to support all the version. Uh, the way I usually did it before manually without RubyNX, so before RubyNX, so it's kind of an experiment. You can find this actually in my gems. I just added an ad hoc uh, refinements to, to my gem, so they bound up with my gem and activated them only in my gems code. This way we have a isolation of this patch only for this file, technically. So the same 
functionality provides RubyNX. It initially didn't support monkey patches. I only added them about two weeks ago, but that's for a different reason. Maybe probably we're going to talk about it later. But right now, RubyNX ships with a lightweight gem with refinements. It has no dependencies. It's just pure Ruby. It's called RubyNX Core. So you can add it as, your depend- as a dependency to your gem. But for all the transpiling, for all the heavy stuff, you don't have to do that. So you don't have to load parser, uh, unparser, actually. There are two gems which we depend on. Everything is down. It should be done at the publish or build time. So yeah, at most, there is a one lightweight pure Ruby dependency. But you don't use APIs, only want to use syntax. You don't need any dependencies for your gem at all. And so, John, you were talking, you, you have a gem and you would be able to apply that Yeah, so it looks like there's two things, right? So basically, I could add it as a dependency, right? If I needed to use API is what you're calling out, Vlad, right? Yeah, yeah. But if if all I wanted to do was use new syntax, I could just pre-transpile it before I publish. So then it would just be a uh, development dependency. And you you and your Rails app or whatever you're including, Shiplane or whatever, you would never install Ruby Next. Or you you would only install Ruby Next if you did it for your own self. Yep. So, yeah, that's one of the goals to avoid uh, dependencies because, well, adding the whole parser to the jam is too much. Mm-hmm. I'm usually trying to keep the number of dependencies as less as possible. So some questions that um, as I'm just scrolling down this page and absorbing so much cool stuff here. So it, it kind of looks like base version that you have to have is 2.5, right? Because that's when I... Don't actually remember when refinements entered, but it looks like you're more or less leveraging refinements. So we'll never go back beyond that. Well, actually, we can go back. And uh, refinements were introduced in 2.0, but uh, the support was not that good. So even 2.5 has some limitations. So refinements are still not ideal, (laughs) even in 2.7. But uh, they are good enough uh, in 2.5 to to 2.7. In the recent version, uh, I added an optional support for core extensions so far, our favorite Manca patches. So if you don't want to use refinements or your Ruby implementation does not support them. So the reason why I added them, I started to integrate in RubyNX into one of my MRuby projects. And MRuby doesn't have refinements, so it's a totally different ecosystem. It has compatible syntax, but refinements out of scope for MRuby. And for MRuby, I designed a way to generate specific core extension classes only for those APIs you need. So not just a magic core extension, which adds all the missing APIs, because again, in MRuby, it's kind of doesn't make sense because it's compilable. For that, I added support for core extensions as well. So you can use them in your application if you don't want to use refinements. So it's it's pretty good for application development when you in control of everything, but not for libraries development when you don't want to uh, interfere with the environment. So a quick follow-up on that core extension thing. Is this intended to be used for my random extension to the hash class, uh, my cool new method that I want to add to the cl- hash class to do whatever I want? Or is this for specific cases like you were pointing out, like, hey, I'm in, in Ruby and I'm missing some features that I would expect in another version of Ruby. It's possible to use core extensions in the application, just like, you know, that's pretty similar to the functionality of the gem called backports. Probably heard about it. Because yep. it's what it does, it's actually backporting uh, APIs from modern Ruby versions to the older one up to, I don't remember exactly, but probably even 1.8. So they have a lot of stuff there. And the way they work, they just load this gem, require it, and it loads all the missing methods. RubyNX has a similar functionality. It's kind of a, has a little bit different implementation. For example, our refinements are more stable in the environment where you already have monkey patches. What I mean stable is that, so consider an example that uh, someone already added backports gem to the project, and thus uh, the methods have been defined. But uh, you, as a library, offer relying on refinements want to use this exact uh, implementation you have tested. And RubyNext add this functionality to refinements, even if there is a method defined, but it is not a native method, but a monkey patch. So it's kind of two different philosophies of using API backports. 
one feature of Ruben Access, you can generate this core extension file, like a separate Ruby file that generated from the command line. For other implementations, like I said, MRuby, Opal, probably uh, Artishock. No, there are a lot of Rubies nowadays, you know, and I don't think all of them are going to be at this high pace as MRI in adding new APIs and features. So that's where I come with Rubinex, <laughs> trying to help them to backport them temporary while they're waiting for them, their uh, implementation to support them out of the box. From my perspective, I could see that making it really attractive for someone who's maintaining a gem to not have to, to be able to take advantage of the latest uh, releases of Ruby, being able to use the latest API and not you know, hating going back and working in that old version. So I, th- I think that that totally makes sense. It's not something that I get to do. Uh, we don't maintain any any gems, but I could definitely see that. Yeah, I don't maintain gems either. I usually write them once, publish them, and then just let them die. <laughs> I know we've kind of already talked about this, uh, but what is the real use case for it? So why would someone choose to use Ruby Next? Why should they add it into their gem or project instead of maybe um, versioning their project to support different versions of Ruby or having it uh, maintain long term, having tests, tests against different versions of Ruby? So yeah, what are the alternatives? So if I want to maintain a gem and still use new features and want to my gem to be able to be used uh, with all the versions, like once again. So as you said, you can just add this if and else statements to your code where you check if Ray, Ruby version, whatever. So require this file because uh, for some features, syntax features, you can just even require them in Alter Ruby because they're going to be syntax error. So you need to do conditional require. Uh, from my opinion, that makes code maintenance, jam maintenance, much harder. And reading such source code is going to be also not that simple. And that's what I want to avoid. So with with this approach, you don't need to do this. You only think so. It's like it changing the way you're thinking about your code, actually, because you don't have to think about supporting older versions when you write new code, for example, in your jam. You always think uh, using in terms of a recent Ruby. You don't care about older, so Ruby next going to care about it. But you just write your code using the modern features. That's not about the source code maintainability, probably, but but it's about the way you learn how to write code with new Ruby. And that becomes especially useful with the recent features again. You know, that pattern matching is a massive feature. It's actually a very complex feature. And uh, without having an opportunity to use it in your real project, say Jam or your application, you probably won't get uh, quicker that what what is this what this feature is for? Because well, I don't know what it's for. I still have to support all the version. I'm still running on to six or even to five. Why I should care about better matching and uh, opportunity to use latest features right away is really great way of learning them. So that's like an ideological side of this project. That's what I like mm-hmm. it most about it actually, and that's. Uh, so the project is called Ruby Next, and we're talking about backporting stuff of supporting older Rubies. But uh, as it turns out, after talking about this at RubyConf in November and previously in Moscow at Ruby Russia conference, I talked to Matt uh, and we discussed the idea of transpiling. And it turned out that this idea could be a little bit more than just a useful tool for developers for Jam offers. It could become something that would allow users to try new and even not accepted, maybe just proposed or under development features before they finally hit the stable release. And that would be possible to get more feedback for Ruby core team, for Ruby designers, uh, whether to include the feature or not, maybe something has to be changed. And we had a couple of interesting situations last year with 2.7. So, for example, numbered parameters has changed during the year. So the syntax has changed. Pattern matching hasn't changed a lot, but there are some minor changes. And the most interesting topic 
probably method reference operator, which has been merged like a year ago into the to seven trunk, but a month before the release, it has been reverted. And that was a bit surprising because the feature has passed all the reviews were merged and even though even some people wrote articles about it. But finally core team decided to roll back and think about it later. But that was where was a situation where something like RubyNext, which could make easier to use new features, upcoming features in real projects, in bad projects even without you know installing Ruby from source from GitHub. That's not that easy way for everyone. And uh, having an opportunity to use these features before the final release actually could make it could make this feature uh, better by getting getting more feedback. This is the way, it, like in JavaScript community, we have the situation with the Babel tool. It's called Babel right now, I think, which is transpiler also. So it, it appeared in the years of uh, fast JavaScript evolving to all this ECMAScript six seven or how it's called right now, 2017, probably, whatever. So, and then they had a different situation. They had a different problem, browsers compatibility, which is one might think that, well, we don't have this problem. We have Ruby, but actually in Ruby, we also have this uh, situation because we had JRuby, which is still uh, 2.5 compliant. So with RubyNX, you can use, again, 2.6 and 2.7 features in JRuby right now. So JRuby is fully supported. Truffle Ruby probably supported, but there are some problems with refinements. <laughs> but I added core extensions, so we should just try to turn on the CI for Truffle as well. I think it's going to be okay. But outside of that, there are other Ruby implementations as well. So we, we also have this problem of MRI being the first one and other one being in the end of this race of adding features. And uh, that's where, again, I think like Transpiler could be helpful. It could make uh, the evolution faster and more, uh, you know, stable. I think without reverting mm-hmm. features before the release, like we had with method efforts. Yeah, um, you know, I, I know this is a Ruby podcast, but it can't help come to mind that the Python world really could have used something like Ruby Next, but a Python version going from version two to three. That was one of the most annoying transitions because I mean. Stuff that was written in three did not work in two, and stuff in two did not work on three. But if you had two different packages or libraries or applications that you wanted to run on a single computer with different Python versions, you had to make sure the right one was being called and stuff. So that's um, couldn't help but to think of that. Yeah, it's a different spin the way that the way that he explained it as well. Thinking. forward instead of backwards. It's not about backwards compatibility. It's about being able to use the latest uh, Ruby yeah. syntax, to be able to use the latest API, even to the point where it could be edge. And so now I'm trying something that's still in development uh, and I get to give feedback and participate in that. And I don't have to worry about changing all my code over. I can just do it in this one little area that I want to try out. And so I, I like that idea. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think it's important to remember, I, I, I really... I, like I'm completely with you, Tom, right? But we're definitely adding our, the exchange here is that we're definitely adding complexity, right? For that, which I, I mean, I think that I'm with you, right? That I think it's worth it, but well, it's interesting. Think, right. It's an evolution. In my, mind, in my mind, it makes sense while I'm in development. I'm trying things and I'm doing things and really I'm evaluating the cost. Is it worth the cost for me going to this next version? This allows me to kind of experiment with it. I don't know that I would, push it out. I don't know that I would actually get published like that. Um, it could, I guess. But in my mind, I, I would see it as, as more of an, an evaluation of this new API and whether or not it's worth me bringing all my code up to date and things like that. But I don't know that I would I push that dependency. I don't know if I would push that dependency uh, out to others. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we were definitely looking at it differently. I was, I was looking at it as like, oh, it's really costly for me to update this stuff, right? Uh, I'll just add Ruby next and get this feature that I want. But yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's still hard for me to swallow. I was I was definitely making that argument. I could see it being useful. I have no projects that I would use it on right now. Oh well, I, to be honest, I'm not using for that purpose uh, at any projects right now. <laughs> 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 Currently, I'm mostly working on this project itself. So. I mean, it definitely come into a specific use case, right? Where I've got a gem that uh, I've got 
maintainers and we need this feature. We need this Ruby uh, feature and I, I don't have the, the resources to be able to go back and address it everywhere. And so it could be, it could be a uh, intermediate step as you're moving a project forward. That is the one use case that I'm thinking about, right? So yeah. Jim that I maintain being able to... Well, let's see, I'm thinking about it differently because I'm thinking about backwards compatibility here, right? Well, kind of though, in, you're thinking you want to use something that's in the most current release, right? And you just want to make sure it's backward compatible. More or less. I'm thinking that I want to test... Uh, it, this is a thing that I personally want to do most of the time is I most of the time want to be testing against latest Ruby. Mm-hmm. But I... I have hundreds of projects that I, you know, get back to on a fairly decently regular basis, right? They're all over the place as to what Rubies they run, and I can't keep them all up to date. Yeah, that's the challenge. I do agree with you all where Ruby Next has a lot of possibilities for being that intermediate step. So let's just say if, for example, if Ruby 2.7 wasn't out yet, you didn't have pattern matching you are developing a gem that's been around for a while, there are some deprecations that break in Ruby 2.7, yet you have new features that you have in your backlog to add in. And pattern matching is the solution to accomplish this task. You can't just upgrade or require Ruby 2.7 because you have this backlog of deprecated code that would break otherwise, but you still want to bring in that functionality without having to compile your own Ruby 2.6 with pattern matching built in, like some nightmare like that. So herein comes Ruby Next, where you still have all your 2.6 functionality code working, but you get the benefit of adding in pattern matching, if I'm understanding everything correctly. Yeah, that's actually the very good case because, well, to seven release, I'm not sure a lot of people use it because it introduced some changes to keyword arguments, which could be breaking. And uh, a lot of stuff is filling your output with duplication warnings. And that's, you know, I, I don't think it's time to upgrade to, to seven. For, for example, Rails, the, I think the latest release version of Rails still contains a lot of duplications. I think 6, 6.1 will fix them, but it's not there yet. So yeah, for 2.7, I think for 3.0, we will have a similar situation with some minor but still breaking changes, which would stop us from upgrading right away. And even if everything is good, I'm not a fan of upgrading to version to the zero patch version. I'm usually waiting for the first patch version. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's, again, <laughs> we still have this uh, like a window of between uh, the official release and the actual time it's get adopted. And yes, uh, Ruby Next is a backporter aims to fill this gap. So it's not meant to be your long time solution. It's like a, just a glue to help you adapt to new features, to new things. I'm glad you brought up uh, keyword arguments because that's actually the thing that I was uh, going to ask about. That's the thing that I, I can think of it making sense, right? Because we have this transition period where we have a whole bunch of breaking changes between different versions happening. And everyone's like, I, I can't even tell you how many articles I've seen come across my desk. Here's what you have to do to go from 2.6 to 2.7. And then we're going to go to 3.0 and you're going to have to do this other thing, right? And and everyone's like, well, maybe you should or should. Like, there's a lot of uh, just, I don't know, back and forth. Like, people are just not sure, it seems, right, about that whole transition. And I'm like, this makes sense to me, right? I'll skip 2.7, backport 3.0, make sure that everything's good. Maybe just move up and only make the one transition instead of having to change all my code three times or something. That's an example. I'm not suggesting that everyone do that. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, if you are planning to maintain a project long-term or if it is something that people are still paying you for, I think that there is a sense of obligation to keep your application up to date. Um, and when you test out, uh, when a new Ruby version comes out, if you start getting a lot of deprecation warnings in your logs just by switching the Ruby version, then a backlog item should be created to eventually address those. 
Because there's going to be a point where you say, oh, hey, Rails 7 has this new awesome feature that we just have to have instead of implementing ourselves. So, oh, but it uses Ruby 2.8 you know, as the minimum requirement. So now you're forced to upgrade. So I'd much rather make my tech debt changes along the way as I want to, like it being my choice instead of being forced to make that change. Well, what, what you could say, I guess, is what it allows you to do is to refinance your technical debt. So you've lowered your interest rate. <laughs> it costs you a little bit less. Yeah, I'd rather just pay it off. But if I've got to pay interest on it, I'd rather reduce the interest that I'm paying on it. And so maybe it's just buying you time. It's another tool in your tool belt, right? Another choice that you could make depending on your situation. Yeah. yeah. I guess also depending on the type of interest. <laughs> <laughs> So do you have sort of a chart? I, I don't see it in the readme, but I mean, do you sort of have a personal chart of like, hey, here are, you know, here, here's Truffle and uh, JRuby, basically all the versions of Ruby. And you're like, um, I don't have this feature ported to this version, but it's on these versions. Currently, uh, I'm testing against uh, Ruby versions to 5 plus and uh, JRuby latest. And uh, everything works the same way in these two implementations. I think I still have an open pull request. I know it's, it's getting closed for Truffle CI, but it has some problems. I have to dig it up and try to configure again. So okay. there, is no, there is no difference between implementations for now. But if you take a look in, outside of uh, MRI-compatible implementations, uh, of course, going to be differences in terms of APIs again, but that's not the, I think, most common usage. So next thing I'm trying to accomplish, so with the next release of Ruby Next, I think, next Ruby Next, which is going to be probably today. Hopefully, I just finished some parser works. And uh, I'm going to write a short in blog post tutorial how to integrate into MRuby development because it has some interesting parts in it. It was better matching as an example. That's, that's going to be a little bit different story. So in the end, so right now we only have this uh, pretty long readme where I try to explain pretty much everything. But what we need is like a tutorial or wizard or what do you want to do? So for Jams development, that's one way. For application development, that's another way. For non-MRI compatible development, that's the third way. So currently this is kind of a meta tool for different stuff related to one Thing like making modern code work uh, in other environments, but uh, the approaches are pretty different. The goal is to make this uh, not version 1.0, but probably integrate into some jams and other projects um, till April, till Ruby Kaigi in Japan, when I'm going to talk about this uh, again. Some, I think, new stuff, including hopefully. So currently, the easiest way to try Ruby Next, actually, we have this fun thing. Uh, it's called UB Next. If you scroll down to the README, you can find it. So you can just globally install Ruby Next Jam. And you can call any Ruby script by specifying the option Ruby dash Ruby Next and script name or inline uh, code with dash E. And it's going to be transpiled in runtime. So that's the easiest way to try new features without even starting a project or whatever. So just write a script, and so RubyNext jam globally and call the script with RubyNext. Ruby call Ruby with RubyNext option, and it should work. Well, it actually works from at least for all the cases I know. Probably gotcha. there are some some edge cases, but yeah. But that's not meant to be <laughs> the way you should use RubyNext. That's just uh, for quick experiments. So everyone could try to do that. Are there any other cool kind of corners in in Ruby Next that we haven't discussed yet? So one thing I actually I'm taking I'm looking at the readme right now and I see that the next chapter is called unofficial experimental features. So as a big fan of method reference, uh, I implemented support for method reference before it was reverted. So I decided not to revert it in Ruby Next, but uh, hide it under the experimental flag. So it's not enabled by default, but you can still use it and uh, maybe come back to the Ruby backtracker and uh, convince Matt and other Ruby designers to 
bring this feature back. So you can start using it in your projects without uh, with any Ruby version. And the goal actually for RubyNext is to start adding some features from uh, Ruby tickets, which still like under discussion or you know in the proposal state to support them before even they got merged into the Edge version and to provide more realistic examples in these discussions because nowadays uh, only the developers who day-to-day use the Edge Ruby, who hack with Ruby itself, can use these Edge features. Other developers can only read uh, blog posts and uh, uh, Ruby ticket system, so there is no good way to try them. The next thing I wanted to add to RubyNX, so that's kind of spoiler. I don't know when this episode will come out, but probably till this, till this time, I'm going to add a shorthand syntax for hash creation to RubyNext. So it's like uh, similar to JavaScript, when you don't have to specify the value for the key if the value is a local, as a label, so-called, or local variable or method defined in the scope. So there are, this feature has been proposed to Ruby couple of times. It's still an open discussion mm-hmm. in the Ruby trunk. And uh, there is no clear uh, rejection from the core team and no acceptance it's, uh, at the same time. So probably by bringing this feature to every user to make it possible to use by regular users, not by advanced users, by Ruby hackers, we can get more feedback and convince Matt to add this feature because I realized recently that I, I want it. <laughs> Actually, it could be really useful in some cases and could make code more readable without its repetition. So yeah, that's that's when RubyNX will start to work on bringing Ruby forward, not only backward. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I was going to say, it's funny because we just discussed this on last week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So yeah, so let me tell you about a bit... Uh, so the trade-offs or problems with using RubyNX because it couldn't be like this. Everything's so good. So the biggest challenge so far is to make RubyNX transpiled code uh, debuggable when you're using a runtime mode. So when you just transpile at runtime and, for example, using IRB or Pry debugger. And all these debuggers show you the source code with a particular line, but transpile code uh, as it is now, it's totally different code. So it's still the same implementation, but it's completely rewritten because we do not change the code in place. We transform the abstract syntax tree and generate the code from it from scratch. So the code is different. And that means that uh, the real line, code lines, are different from those you have in your source code. And that makes debugging kind of tricky, actually impossible. So you won't see the actual code. And I'm still thinking about the ways of dealing with this. I'm not sure that I want to invest a lot into runtime mode because first of all, it's for jams where you don't have this problem because the compiled code is loaded in runtime and you work with it. So no intermediate magic. But that's one of the challenges I want to solve anyway because it seems like a very interesting Ruby task. So one one more Ruby challenge from this uh, jam. There were a lot of them. And I think after that, we might say that, well, RubyNext is actually ready because from terms of compatibility, so that's also a typical question. So how how I make sure that uh, the transpiled code behaves the same way as um, original code with, with the recent uh, Ruby version? Hopefully, we have a Ruby spec project, which is a Ruby specification test, like a compatibility test, conformance test for Ruby implementations. It's used by Truffle, JRuby again, and other Ruby-related projects. And we're using them to test uh, our transpiled code. And as of now, for example, pattern matching is 100% compatible with Ruby spec, which means it works the same way as Ruby 7. And continue about pattern matching. The fun fact is that transpiled version is faster than the original Ruby version, even on 2.7. I don't know why. <laughs> so, uh, because transpiled version, if you try to do that and take a look at the transpiled file, it's just like a if and else and uh, all that uh, intermediate code. It's really huge. 
but uh, it's faster in some cases. In some cases, it's the same. It's never slower for now, For at least for those benchmarks I have. They are all in the repository. There are a few different better matching cases, but still uh, it's faster. And I think because I, I know I have some tricks in the code base and the generated code base to some optimizations, which probably are missing in the original Ruby implementation. So another side effect side effect of the development Ruby Next is that I know I have to learn how Ruby do things. And I kind of re-implementing Ruby in Ruby and I'm adding some optimizations and I can bring those optimizations back to the MRI, for example. So I have some ideas regarding pattern matching, but I haven't had time to dig into the C code yet because you know, I'm not so fluent C reader. But um, it also could be an interesting use case for Ruby Next is to optimize some things in Ruby and then backport them into C and kind of make the Ruby itself better in terms of performance. Because, yeah, I was a bit surprised when I just wrote these benchmarks and ran the code. And, wow, my implementation is more than two times faster than Ruby's implementation. Why? Well, then I found a couple of edge cases I haven't taken into account. But then after even after fixing everything, it's still faster. That's magic. Ruby magic. <laughs> yeah. So that's another thing I like about this project. Even if no one is going to use it, <laughs> I'm still going to use it. And it could bring... it could kind of a contribute to other Ruby projects as it already contributed to Ruby spec itself, to the parser gem, probably to the Ruby itself if I find some ways to backport my optimizations to Ruby. To me, this sounds like you're kind of creating a sort of, I don't know, like a tool for the ecosystem, right? So without Ruby gems, right? No one would really, you, you would be missing so much functionality, right? From being able to do Ruby. It's just sort of a thing that's sort of baked into like how we work. Like to me, this sounds like you're pushing that envelope, right? You're creating a scenario, right, where we could potentially try out stuff on, you know, the 3.0 line. It is it is extremely daunting to look at that code and be like, huh, I can pull this down, get it working on my local machine, come up with a fake project, right, to test it out, right? That's a huge daunting thing just to try out some pull requests, right? So I don't, and and a lot of developers don't. But for like some of the really cool features, like you point out, right? Maybe I do want to try some of the the new parameter stuff, right? That's coming out on 3.0 or or some other feature that I'm really excited about. Okay, well now maybe maybe this is the right path forward, right? To allowing me to just do that as you know a casual. I'm not casual. I guess I'm professional, but whatever. I feel casual next to the dude that's like testing out every pull request, right? To me, you're pushing the envelope in that way and the whole ecosystem giving us a new way to work is my point. Well, hopefully it will work out. But yes, that's the whole idea. Yeah, that's actually for you know for developer happiness. Because I wasn't happy supporting all Rubies. So I came out with the idea of using refinements first. It was about two years ago probably. And that was good enough uh, then before Ruby 2.7, actually, because we didn't have, uh, almost didn't have syntax changes, like, you know, endless ranges. I don't use endless ranges, so I don't care. But uh, especially beginless ranges. And it was, wasn't was a big deal of, you know, backporting APIs to new versions. I just copied this code from one project to another. But then I realized that, yeah, if we can always develop in modern syntax, that's would make us actually better developers because I don't like to spend time digging into older code bases and even the language or frameworks. You know, I I haven't touched Rails free too, hopefully for eight years, maybe. And I'm pretty happy about it. And the same about Rails five actually. I'm I'm trying to upgrade everything as fast as possible. The same with Ruby, but sometimes it could be harder than just running RVM install Ruby to something or re-upgrade, install, whatever. So Ruby is evolving fast nowadays, and um, we need something to help us to, to go along with Ruby. So that's what RubyNext could be. All right. I would love to talk more about any cable and stuff, maybe on a later date. I, I can, like, uh, again, share a little announcement regarding any cable. So currently, we're actually working on version 1.0 which will bring a lot of useful stuff and improvements. I think it's coming in a month, um, at 
list release candidate. Actually released a few first preview release in the last week, but uh, there are some stuff to be completed before the final release. And yeah, there are going to be some announcements and probably the roadmap for version 2.0, which is going to be exciting <laughs> if it will if we'll someday it's going to be real. But yeah, so probably we can talk about any cable in a couple of months. There are going to be some new stuff to discuss. Awesome. This project. All right, Vladimir, if people want to find you online and your current works, where should they go? The best way is to go straight to GitHub. Um, my GitHub handle is Falcon, E-A-L-K-A-N. So there you can find uh, all my projects, and uh, including RubyNX, AnyCable, and others. And my Twitter uh, handle is about the same, but a little bit longer. So it's Falcon Tula with underscore B-A-L-K-A-N underscore T-U-L-A. So Tula is my kind of hometown in Russia. Yeah, curious about it. Awesome. Early in my career, I figured out which jobs were worth working at and which ones weren't, mostly by trial and error. I created a system that I used to find jobs and later contracts as a freelancer. If you're looking for a job or trying to figure out where you should go next, then check out my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. The book walks you through figuring out what you want, vetting companies that meet your criteria, meeting that company's employees, and getting them to recommend you for a job. Don't settle for whoever has listed their job on the job board. Go out and proactively find the job you'll love. Buy the book at devchat.tv slash job book. That's devchat.tv slash job book. Well, let's go ahead and move on to some picks. Uh, John, do you want to start us off? Yeah. So the uh, pick that I want to throw out here today is ever since I started programming, I occasionally have like, I don't know, my wrist just hurt probably because I'm doing something wrong. But... In order to like fix that problem, I had some discussions with my doctor and some friends and things like that. Anyway, everyone seemed to recommend all sorts of different things. The path that I eventually took was just trying to strengthen my wrists. I I got this. Uh, I have a few different things, but the thing that I ended up that I do like regularly and whenever it comes up is I got this like Powerball thing. It's just like a gyro spinner inside of a ball. And you have to like start it up to get it going fast enough. But then you like put it like in your hand and you like twist your hand around or whatever. Anyway, it's supposed to like work on your radial strength or whatever. And that basically what happens is every few months or so, my wrist will start giving me grief. I'll do this for a few weeks and it'll go away for a few months. That's been my habit for like three or four years. And I just started doing it again. And so I was thinking about that. I was like, this is part of my life and this is awesome. Cool. They have all sorts of ones. Mine's super... I got a, a fairly inexpensive one, so it's like a freaking strobe light because I'm sure no one else wanted to buy it. That's what I got. Awesome. Tom, do you have any picks? Uh, I actually am... It's, it's another health-related one, but uh, I, I, I can sit in front of my computer and not move for hours at a time. You know what? I'll just, I'll just be coding and I can't... Like, I just don't even move. And uh, I got a Fitbit to start reminding me to get up and get 250 steps. And it was driving people in the office crazy because I would just pace <laughs> around the office. And so we actually got a treadmill desk and it's been awesome. I really, I love it. I'm getting easily, I'm getting 10,000 steps in a day and it makes it really easy every hour to be able to, you know, get up and move. And it's actually, it's got a desk. And so I use it, bring my, my computer right over to it. and. Uh, it's been great. Nice. All right. And Tom, do you want to give a quick intro of who you are since you're a new panel? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm Tom Rossi. I am uh, one of the founders of Higher Pixels. We're a company that makes uh, web-based products. Uh, the product that people are most familiar with these days is one called Buzzsprout, which is a podcast hosting platform. I've been building on Rails since before version one and uh, have just always enjoyed you know that environment and have enjoyed the ruby rogues podcast in the past so awesome was well, great to have you on i'll drop in with a couple of picks and speaking of docker one tool that i found for docker and uh let me i guess just preface this with i'm not a huge fan of docker but i see its use and i'm enjoying its power that it provides 
So I wish I didn't have to use Stalker, but because I do, and it is nice to have. So this app is called CTOP. It's a command line application, and it gives you basically just like HTOP or TOP would for your running processes. But this is going to show you your running containers, showing you CPU, memory, network usage on all of your running containers. So it's pretty powerful. Pretty cool. And you can drill into them and get some more info on them. The next pick I have is a website called manypixels.co forward slash gallery. It is about 17 pages, so a couple of hundred, uh, royalty-free, free to use for non-commercial and commercial images. So they're kind of like vector arts. But the nice thing about this is you can put in your own hexadecimal color and it'll automatically update all the images to that kind of color scheme. So it's going to more fluidly match your website content. So it's a really cool find that someone pointed out to me the other day. And Vladimir, do you have any picks? Yep, I have one prepared. Uh, so the, this is a Mac application called Numi. Uh, they call it themselves Beautiful Calculator app for Mac. So actually what it is, is like a mix of uh, notes app and uh, something similar to Python notebooks or Swift Playground. So you can type some symbolic calculations and their result is appeared on the right column right away. You can add variables, change them. So it's really useful for quick sketching of some calculations or whatever. So I found it very useful while filling my text refund form. So uh, <laughs> it has a free option. You can buy some kind of license. I haven't tried yet, but it's really simple and useful. So can try. Awesome. Well, Vladimir, I appreciate you coming on and talking to us today. And we will talk to you later, hopefully on any cable. Thank you. I was glad to be there as always. So hope to come back with next great stuff. <laughs> so thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah. All right. We'll Bye. talk to you later. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.